Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen. Welcome to another campaign edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. Day 10 of the campaign and the parties rolling out pledges on housing, seniors and long-term care. On a day when the Prime Minister says Canada is prepared to keep military personnel in Afghanistan past an August 31st deadline for the American troop pullout. But he continued to face questions about Canada's response to the crisis. Candidates will be here to debate that response. And new polling numbers show the race is tightening as the Conservative and NDP leaders enjoy some positive momentum. David Coletto from Abacus Data will be here with the latest numbers. But first, to the latest promises from the campaign trail. The next Prime Minister of Canada! NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Ontario today. He was in Mississauga in front of one of the country's largest owners of private long-term care homes. Rivera is owned by the Federal Public Sector Pension Investment Board. Singh laid out the NDP's promise to get the private sector out of the operation of long-term care homes in Canada, citing the tragic deaths in care homes during the pandemic. An NDP government, Singh says, would also boost wages for long-term care workers and develop national standards for all long-term care homes. Why would we allow even a cent of our public hard-earned dollars, taxpayer dollars, why would we allow even a cent of that to go towards lucrative for-profit companies like Rivera? These are, these are wealthy corporations. These are large, profitable corporations. Why should we allow even a cent of our dollars to go towards their profits instead of the care of our loved ones? Singh also responded to liberal messaging to progressives that a vote for the NDP improves the chances of a conservative win. Singh points to failed liberal promises to encourage voters to come to him and opt for real change. He's asking for a four-year mandate. He just had six years and he couldn't get it right in six years. What makes people believe he's going to get it right in the next four years? To me, it shows that he loves to do the classic liberal strategy. Why deliver on something when I can just promise it in an election? And that's, the, that's what I see liberals doing often. And that's why I would say to Canadians, Let's vote differently then. Why do we need to go with the same parties that keep on making it harder for your lives? Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole spent another day in Ottawa at the party's studio in an Ottawa hotel. O'Toole announced a Conservative government would act to protect pensions for workers when a company goes bankrupt or is being restructured. Those measures include banning executives at a bankrupt company from receiving bonuses unless the worker pension plan is protected. Executives shouldn't be getting massive bonuses while workers lose out in their retirement. Our plan will also require companies to be more transparent by clearly reporting the funding status of their pension plans. O'Toole also returned to the issue of health care today, defending his promise to allow provinces to innovate in health care, including a larger role for private for-profit care. I support universal access in our system, public and free, and I also support provinces making sure that they can offer more choice, faster service and less waits for their citizens. All provinces I know want to have the best health care performance for their provinces. As the federal government, I will be a reliable partner with predictable, stable funding. 
Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was in Hamilton, Ontario this morning, in a region where Liberals are in tight races with the NDP and Conservatives. Trudeau unveiled the party's housing plan. It includes $1 billion in loans and grants to help renters become homeowners. It would allow Canadians under the age of 40 to save up to $40,000 tax-free to put a down payment on a first home. The plan also promises to build, repair or renovate 1.4 million homes over four years. And a promise to create a homeowner's bill of rights which would ban blind bidding where prospective buyers after the same property aren't told what others are bidding. We've put a heavily ambitious plan out that is going to support millions of Canadians get into new and refurbished and renovated homes over the coming years versus a plan by the Conservatives that focuses on giving tax breaks to people who are already wealthy, that's their housing plan, or the NDP who always talk a good game but never actually have the concrete plan to deliver the housing that Canadians need. Trudeau was asked by a reporter whether these new housing measures amount to an admission that previous Liberal housing initiatives have not delivered. In 2015-2017, as we launched that national housing strategy, we were starting from a standing start because for the previous 10 years, the Conservative government decided the federal government had no role to play in housing. That is wrong. That's why we stepped up and saw tremendous improvements in supporting people to get housing over the past number of years. Green Party leader Annamie Paul also promised a Green government would take measures to deal with the crisis in affordable housing. Now is the time to do that, to enhance the housing benefit, to expand the rapid housing initiative, uh, to build and acquire a minimum of 300,000 units of deeply affordable, non-market, co-op, non-profit housing over the next decade. The Bloc Québécois leader campaigned in a riding near Quebec City held by the Conservatives. Yves-François Blanchet repeated demands that the federal government fund research to find a replacement for the herbicide glyphosate, commonly used in agriculture. He also ridiculed the Conservative promise today of increased protections for workers and their pensions. If the, this newfound love of the Conservatives for the unions is uh, as strong in credibility as their newfound love for free choice in, matter, in matters of abortion, I wouldn't trust it so much. Yeah, this is awesome! And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 10 of the election campaign. Afghanistan was also in the spotlight on the campaign today. Justin Trudeau joining other world leaders for a virtual G7 summit today to discuss the crisis in Afghanistan. The U.S. president's decided to stick with the deadline of August 31st for withdrawing U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Canada and a dozen other countries are frantically working now to evacuate as many Afghans as possible. Justin Trudeau said after the meeting today that Canada is ready to stay beyond August 31st if possible, calling on the Taliban to let people who want to leave get to the airport. 
we have uh, uh, welcomed over 2,000 people back to Canada over these past number of weeks. We're going to continue to work every single day to get as many people out alongside our allies. The commitment uh, by the, uh, the, our, uh, our fellow G7 nations is clear. We're all going to work together to save as many people as possible. But our commitment to Afghanistan doesn't end uh, when this current phase and this current deadline comes. We will continue uh, to put pressure on the Taliban to allow people to leave the country in safety. We will continue uh, to ensure that we're doing everything we can uh, to get them to respect uh, uh, human rights and give opportunities to all Afghans. We agree that we will continue to close our close cooperation to get people out as efficiently and safely as possible. We are currently on a pace to finish by August the 31st. The sooner we can finish, the better. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops. But the completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate allow access to the airport for those who were, trans were transporting out and no disruptions to our operations. In addition, I've asked the Pentagon and the State Department for contingency plans to adjust the timetable should that become necessary. I'm determined to ensure that we complete our mission, this mission. Well, let's debate Canada's response to the crisis in Afghanistan, ongoing as it is, with three uh, candidates in the federal election. I'm joined by Anita Vandenbelt, the Liberal candidate for re-election in the riding of Ottawa West. She was the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Defence in the last Parliament. Michael Chong is the Conservative candidate for re-election in the Ontario riding of Wellington-Halton Hills. He's a former foreign affairs critic for the party. And Lindsay Matheson is the NDP candidate for re-election in the Ontario riding of London Fanshawe. She was the party's critic for women and diversity issues in the last Parliament. Uh, good to have you all uh, with me to talk about this tonight. Anita Vandenbelt, let me start with you. We keep hearing these reports of families trying to get to Canada, trying to get to the Kabul airport, getting to the Kabul airport, waiting for planes. Uh, the Taliban said today it's closing off access to the airport for all Afghan nationals. Uh, Justin Trudeau saying today Canada is prepared to keep its military personnel in Afghanistan past August 31st when the Americans will be pulling out. So I, I, I'm wondering how realistic is it to say Canada can stay behind if the U.S. is pulling out troops out of that airport and the airport in Kabul is no longer secured by those troops? Uh, well, well, first of all, I think uh, all Canadians are devastated by the stories that we're hearing and seeing coming out of Afghanistan. Uh, I want to reassure viewers that our Prime Minister, ministers, the Canadian Armed Forces and consular officials are working around the clock to get as many people to safety as possible. Uh, we have been making progress. You saw that up until now, uh, we've gotten 1,300 uh, people to Canada, 2,200 out of Afghanistan have been evacuated. Just yesterday, 500 on a plane, including 200 children. Uh, the Prime Minister participated in a call with the G7 mm -hmm. this morning where they reiterated that the Taliban have to provide safe passage for all those that wish to leave, that they have to adhere to international human rights law, allow humanitarian access, and of course, gender equality and inclusion. Right, um, but, 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 but how, 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 would, how would Canada be able to remain there past the 31st of August with no support from the U.S.? So the well, first of all, the the allies have been cooperating. Uh, we, we've been working very very closely with our NATO allies, including the U.S., the U.K., and others. Um, the Prime Minister said today that we would be willing, and in fact, uh, encouraged that we would stay past the October, the August thirty first deadline. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the most important thing right now is we get as many 
people out okay. as possible. And we know our Canadian Armed Forces are on the ground. Uh, they're making the operational decisions. They have full authorization to do what it takes to get people out. Obviously, we have to work with allies on this. That okay. is, me, uh, that is clear. But Canada me, is absolutely committed. Let me move to Mr. Chong. If Canadian troops, Mr. Chong, do stay past August 31st to try and carry on the airlift of Afghans, uh, I guess a lot of people are wondering what, what they might face from the Taliban. Should, should Canada be prepared to put those forces in peril if they want to continue this airlift and the Americans have pulled out? Well, I think what we need is to have the three ministers responsible for these files to be back at work dealing with the crisis at hand. And that's why we've called on ministers Medicino, Sajan, and Garno to get back to work with the political staff to manage the crisis on the ground so that in the next number of weeks, we can try to evacuate as many Afghans as possible. But, you know, I think this points to a much bigger problem with this government. Uh, the government wasted the last six months, um, precious time that they could have used to evacuate these Afghans. Veterans groups, NGOs, and so many others pleaded with the government over the last number of months to act immediately at that time and expeditiously to evacuate innocent Afghans because we knew the U.S. was withdrawing its forces and we knew the Taliban were advancing. We've been calling on the government to do exactly that. In fact, on July 7th of last month, we issued a statement calling on the government to take immediate action to rescue these brave Afghans okay. who assisted Canadian soldiers during the war. Right, so on July 23rd, Aaron O'Toole wrote an open letter to the prime minister calling on him to take immediate and expeditious action to save these lives. But instead of taking action, the government, the prime minister, was focused on an election and wasted precious time preparing for that election rather than right, government. And so now we have a government that is scrambling to take action. Lin Unfortunately, uh, too much time has passed. All right, Lindsay Matheson, should Canada be prepared to continue its airlift past August 31st, even in the face of uh, Taliban threats uh, to Western uh, countries to pull their forces out and do that by August 31st? Uh, you're absolutely correct in terms of uh, this is putting Canadian soldiers further at risk, and and it is going to be uh, extremely difficult. Uh, the Canadian government, without that that U.S. backing, um, is. I don't know. I don't think that the, the Trudeau government has really thought this through in terms of how that's going to happen on the ground. Uh, and while it's our government that needs to ensure that this is the first priority to ensure that, that that extension, that deadline is extended past August 31st with our allies. Um, I don't think uh, that Justin Trudeau uh, has truly given all that he needs to in terms of the thought process on this. He has been distracted by uh, an election call that is unnecessary. It is selfish of him to have called it. Uh, these are the exact reasons why Parliament needs to be back in play uh, to to be debating all of this and to be ensuring that, that people on the ground are receiving the help from Canadians and the Canadian government that they that they need. All right, uh, Anita Vanderbilt, let, let, let me have you answer those uh, uh, suggestions from your colleagues that you, the, the government, these government ministers and the prime minister, uh, they can't be properly doing their job to try and rescue Afghans if they're trying to get reelected. 
and, and, and first of all, I think that that's very unfair to the consular officials and the Canadian forces on the ground. I have complete faith. Uh, we know that the ministers are working around the clock on this. The Prime Minister just this morning was on a G7 call on this issue. But I'd also like to point out that this is not new. Canada had a program in place when we ended our combat mission in 2011. We brought 800 Afghans and their families who were interpreters. Uh, we've been bringing Afghan asylum seekers since then, and we began this process weeks ago. The first flight was actually on August the fourth, uh, and I can I can assure that the Canadian government right now is fully fully focused on this. That we are making sure, and and I'm actually kind of disappointed that the opposition parties are are making this into a partisan issue because this is very serious. This is about life and death. This is about people on the ground, and particularly coming from the Conservative Party, which in their platform wants to end the government assisted refugee program, which is the very program we're bringing people out through. Let so me, I think okay. it's important we all come together and we are working with our allies to get as many out as we can. Mr. Chong, the, the federal over the last six years, uh, Canada has contributed, I think it's a, a billion dollars to humanitarian projects in Afghanistan. Uh, it, it doesn't go to any of the governments there and hasn't. It goes through uh, UN agencies, goes through non-governmental organizations. But uh, do you think there needs to be a rethink? Uh, Prime Minister suggested as much today. Do, do you think there needs to be a rethink of what Canada is prepared to contribute to Afghanistan uh, under a Taliban government? Oh, absolutely. Um, we will not recognize a Taliban government um, if we form government after the election. Furthermore, we believe that all forms of financing should be cut off to this illegitimate regime that's taken over the country by force. Um, and so we believe that uh, foreign aid uh, cannot be flowing through the, this regime to uh, any organization because it will be instead diverted for the illegitimate purposes of but this do, But do you believe Canada has a, an obligation to continue to, uh, to support humanitarian projects in Afghanistan to help the people there? I mean, some would make the case the argument's even stronger to help the people there if they're going to be living under the Taliban. Absolutely. Absolutely. We believe in... Uh, supporting the repatriation repatriation as, of as many refugees as possible, particularly those who can assisted Canadian forces in the field, like interpreters, contractors, and so many others who risked the lives of themselves and their families. We also believe in contributing to humanitarian efforts on the ground, uh, particularly in the defense of women and girls. Um, you know, our heart breaks for the loss of rights and the loss of uh, basic human rights that these groups are now going to be facing. And so we support, uh, we will be supporting initiatives uh, that will fund humanitarian efforts directly on the ground when we can be assured that those funds are not going to be diverted to the illegit illegitimate purposes of the Taliban regime. All right, uh, Lindsay Matheson, what, what are your thoughts on that and what role Canada can play uh, beyond however long uh, the airlift abilities last uh, before Canada then probably turns its attention to trying to support Afghans who are still in that country as best as they can be supported. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we do, of course, also oppose the recognition of the Taliban. Their atrocious human rights record as it relates to, to women and girls uh, uh, needs to be addressed. And, and it, it becomes so much more difficult after the the um, exiting of the U.S. government after the 31st of, of August. That's why this this deadline has to be extended. I, I've talked to, to folks who are advocating for um, Afghan people uh, here in Canada. Uh, they're, they're advocating for their families. 
family members and they're terrified. They don't know what's going to happen um, once the, the Americans pull out. Um, but I would like to address uh, when uh, Ms. Vanderbilt said that, that she was disappointed in, in the parties uh, making this a partisan issue. I mean, I'm certainly disappointed in this government for not having addressed this sooner. They had forecasted um, or they had forecast from, from military leaders that this was going to happen from months ago and they didn't move on it and they haven't done their, they haven't fulfilled their obligation uh, internationally, certain nationally and uh, that's where my disappointment lies in terms of a government who who thought of themselves before their international obligations. Anita Vandenbelt, I mean, notwithstanding what you described as the, the criticisms from your colleagues here, I mean, the, the, there are news reports on a daily basis of, of not politicians, but Afghans or the Afghan community talking about the challenges they've faced in dealing with the Canadian government and red tape and, and uh, problems associated with this uh, airlift mission. So tell me about that. Uh, yes. Well, well. first of all, I'd also like to reiterate uh, that the Prime Minister was very clear that the Taliban are a listed terrorist entity. Uh, and in the G7 statement today, the joint statement, uh, it does call on primarily through the United Nations uh, for access for humanitarian assistance, which Canada is completely committed to. Uh, and with regard to, uh, you know, I, I think that you know, it is easy to take pot shots, but I can assure you that the government has been on this, not just for weeks or months, but for a decade, okay. uh, making sure we're bringing people out. And we have given very clear instructions uh, to immigration to make sure that we're, we're reducing the burden right, of time. paperwork. And the Canadian Armed Forces are doing, have full authorization on the ground to get people out. Okay, we, we've covered that, and, and uh, there's lots more we could cover. But I want to thank all three of you. The time is short tonight, but I appreciate you uh, weighing in with your perspectives on uh, a difficult situation that we'll continue to watch. Thank you all, and uh, best of luck in the campaign, as I say to all candidates, and thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, the latest polling suggests an election race that is now getting closer by the day. Some polls have the Conservatives and Liberals in a statistical dead heat. And clearly, the momentum right now is with Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. The NDP appears to be on the move, too. And Jagmeet Singh, his popularity continues to climb. All of that will cause concern for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, who went into the campaign well ahead in most public opinion surveys. All right, let's bring in pollster David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data, who's with us regularly throughout the campaign. David, good to see you again. So tell me about this latest survey information we're about to see. Uh, what do we need to know? Well, we completed this survey on Sunday. Uh, we interviewed 2,000 Canadian uh, adults who are eligible to vote in the election. So um, uh, fairly recent numbers here. What's the broad headline in these numbers we're about to see? We don't see much change in the overall horse race. We still have the Liberals ahead by four, but we are seeing some, some movement, some movement in favor of uh, Mr. O'Toole and Mr. Singh in terms of their image. Um, that suggests the first week of the campaign uh, has, has really helped them introduce them to more Canadians and has more Canadians feeling good about those two leaders. All right, let's, let's go through those numbers to, to, to sort of support that narrative. Uh, let's start with the horse race numbers. What are we seeing? We've got the Liberals ahead by four. They're at 33% nationally. The Conservatives at 29 and the New Democrats at 23. Um, the People's Party's at four. Uh, the Greens at three nationally. And, and then other parties are at two with the Bloc at 6% nationally, but 29% but in Quebec. You'll see that there hasn't been a whole lot of change from, from last week, our previous survey. We only have about a point increase for the Conservatives and the New Democrats, a, a one-point drop for uh, the Bloc and a two-point block for the uh, Greens. So overall, the national level, 
not a whole bunch of change, but still that that margin between the liberals and the conservatives continues to shrink as this campaign goes on. Okay, and what do we see? Um, what do we see when we break down those vote intentions by province or region? Let, let's start in the West. Yeah, in the West, British Columbia is a as, as close a three-way race as you can even imagine. We've got the uh, Liberals slightly ahead of the, the New Democrats. They're at 33, the New Democrats at 31, and the Conservatives not far back at 28. So BC, as it often is the case, is, is, a, is a three-way horse race right now. The Greens are at seven, so a little weaker than they've been in the past, and so maybe not, not as much of a factor there this campaign. As we move east into Alberta, uh, obviously the Conservatives have always done well there. We, we see them continuing to do well, but we've noticed a little bit of an uptick for the New Democrats. They're at 30% in Alberta, 15 points behind the Conservatives with the Liberals well back in third. In Saskatchewan and Manitoba, a similar story. We've got a smaller sample size there, so, so more chance of, of, of an error in these numbers. But the Conservatives are ahead uh, by nine over the Liberals and the New Democrats. In vote-rich Ontario, we've got a six-point lead for the Liberals, 35 to 29 over the Conservatives, with the New Democrats not that far behind. Uh, they seem to be gaining a little bit in Ontario, and that race is getting, getting much tighter than it was when this campaign started. Now in Quebec, uh, the Liberals continue to hold a similar six-point lead over the Bloc. They're at 35, the Bloc at 29, and the Conservatives at 19 with the NDP at 11. So still really a, a two-horse race there in Quebec. And then out in Atlantic Canada, uh, the Liberals have a, still a sizable lead over the Conservatives, ahead by 13, 45 to 32 over the Conservatives with the NDP at 16. Again, yeah. smaller sample sizes in Atlantic Canada means from week to week, you're going to see more variation, sure. but still gives us the, the story that the Liberals are, are quite dominant in, in Atlantic Canada, Moussa, even after the Nova Scotia election. Right. Let's move some, to some of these boards fairly quickly. You've, you've compiled a picture of where the support's coming from by age group. What's happening? So interestingly, the Liberals' support is almost exactly the same across every age group, but the other parties, we do see some variability. So among younger voters, for example, the New Democrats are doing well. They're, they're quite competitive with the Liberals among those under 30. And as you get older, you can see the conservative number goes up. They're competitive with the Liberals among those over the age of 45. So if you're younger, you're more likely to vote New Democrat. Um, if you're older, you're more likely to vote Conservative. But the Liberals right now are counting on about equal numbers across those age groups. And what about the volatility of the choices voters might make? How many people have made up their minds now? Well, we asked people who, who, who at least picked the choice for us, whether they're locked into that choice or whether they could change their mind. And you see, actually, four out of 10 said uh, I, they could still change their mind before they actually vote. And most important is among New Democrat and Green Party supporters, a majority of those party supporters say they're open to changing their mind. So their voters are more soft, whereas the votes of liberals, conservatives and bloc supporters are a little more solid, meaning Again, lots could change between now and, and, and when people vote. I always say election day, Peter, but some people are going to vote well before E-Day, uh, but still lots of volatility in that electorate. One key number to watch throughout the campaign is going to be the desire for change among Canadians. What's happening there? Well, we're starting to see that slowly you know, move up among those who say they definitely want change. Is that 44% in our most recent survey? That's still below where it was in the last federal election, but it's six points higher than it was just about a month ago. So it's something to watch. Um, those that want to see the Liberals re-elected, that's about 30%, 29%. So not great for the Liberals. They're, they're up against some desire for change. It's just not as intense as it was back in 2019 yet. Again, something to watch for as we move forward. Let's take a look at how the voters feel about the party leaders. Let's start with Justin Trudeau. What's happening there? 
Mr. Trudeau hasn't seen that much change. Again, you know, we often talk about this. The prime minister's view is pretty solid in terms of how people feel about him. His, his negatives are down a little bit, but so too are his positives. About equal numbers have a positive and negative view of the prime minister. And that's been about the same uh, almost for, for over a year right. now. Aaron O'Toole had a big hill to climb with Canadians. Everybody knew that going in. How is he, how is he doing now? Well, based on these numbers, he probably had the best week because his positives are up six points in a week. That's, that's big. That's a big shift from 20% positive to 26. He still has a, a lot of room to go. His gap between those positive and negatives are still really high. But I think this is a signal probably making the conservative campaign feel good that that, that first week of the campaign, they broke through. And, and generally speaking, millions more Canadians are feeling good about Aaron O'Toole. Is it enough yet? Not quite. But, but certainly uh, moving in the right direction. And he's not alone. The NDP leader's on a bit of a, a, a rise, too. What's happening with Jagmeet Singh? Well, Jagmeet Singh's hit a new high in our tracking. 42% have a positive view of him compared to 24 negative. That net favorability, when we take you know, the negatives away from the positives, is the best among all the party leaders. Uh, he's, he's incredibly popular right now. It's not converting yet into votes for the NDP but it's the first step. And so I continue to say, watch Jagmeet Singh. Uh, he's well-liked. And the more he's out there, it appears the more he's, being, uh, he's getting liked as well. All right. So what's the upshot in these numbers? What are you watching for? Well, after week one, it, you know, the, it feels like the Liberals kind of limped out of the starting gates, even though they called this election. Uh, their numbers haven't moved. The race has tightened a little bit. But the big story, I think, is that Aaron O'Toole's numbers are finally rising, if, if you're him. All that work he's put in is, is perhaps paying off and that the Conservatives and the New Democrats, I think, can look back at week one and say they moved the needle in a positive direction for their campaigns and the Liberals um, are kind of at status quo, fall a little back. All right, David Coletto, Abacus Data. Uh, thanks for being with me tonight and we'll look forward to our next chat. Thanks, David. Thanks, Peter. Take care. And that is all the time we have for this campaign edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.